Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, a podcast about everything you need to know about teens. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we speak teenager. Uh, did we also mention that we're best friends? We've worked as admission officers, prep school administrators, and most importantly, have coached thousands of teens. In other words, we have seen it all. So join us every week as we give you the lowdown on all the shit your teenager isn't telling you. Because trust us, there's a lot of it. And if you don't know what to do with the teenagers in your life, don't worry. We've got your back. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. And today, Meredith and I are extra excited. Well, I speak for myself and say I am definitely extra excited because one of my former students is on the show as our guest. One of my all-time faves. I'm sorry if there's other Menlo kids listening right now who are like, wait, I thought you said (laughs) I was your all-time fave. Just for the record, I'm also excited. (laughs) Okay, good. Zoe, before you came on, I heard lots about you and I'm really excited to get to know you better. Zoe's awesome. So Zoe is, I just asked her, Zoe, how old are you now? How old are you now, Zoe? 30. I'm 30 years old. She's 30 years old, which is scary because I'm like, wait a minute, aren't I 30 years old? (laughs) In my mind, I'm still 30. So how could it possibly be that a student that I used to work with is 30 years old? I'm totally blowing my mind. The same age. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So just a little background on Zoe. Zoe, I was Zoe's advisor, I think just for one year, right? Mm -hmm. And I wasn't your college counselor, but you were just like one of those seniors that I loved and would want to hang out with because you were so cool. I just came into the college counseling office and sat on the couch. Yeah, exactly. Had my Kathy Chen therapy sessions. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Exactly. And you graduated from Menlo. So what year was that? 2010. 2010. I love your class, by the way. I love. I was a senior class dean at Menlo for many years. I love the class mm-hmm. of 2010. And you went to Tulane, got your master's in communications or your bachelor's in communication. Yep. I yep. also have my bachelor's in communication. Go communication hmm. majors. Whoop. Yep. With a minor in French. And now you are the head of product at Quilt. I just looked on your yeah. LinkedIn really quickly. And I think Quilt is a audio only social media company. That is correct. That is what we are. We're a kind of space on the internet where you can be yourself and it's audio only. So you don't have to care about what you look like all the time. And it's just a really cool place where strangers can hang out and have fun and play games and get to know each other and express themselves and do weird, fun things. (laughs) I love it. I love that you're in this like wellness space too. Mm -hmm. And I've been following your journey for the last, I mean, since you've graduated, really. And you've done a lot of cool things, which we'll talk about. So my first question for you is, well, first of all, is there anything else you want to add that I didn't say about your background? I think the the only other piece that I will add that will probably speak to the things that I have done is that I've never stayed in one place post-college for more than like a year and a half. (laughs) So I'm kind of a bebopper around. And I think that speaks a little bit to my character, but also just like the curiosity aspect of my life and where it's led me. Didn't you do a remote year? I did. I did uh, the program remote year. So I was in 2016 to 2017. We spent a year traveling around the world, different city, different country every month for a year. (sighs) My dream. Oh, to be young again. 
We didn't have remote year when I was it, in my 20s. You could do it. We a could do it. Mom just did it for four months. There's no rules. So cool. Okay. Well, Meredith and I will have to plan our remote year without going on an actual remote Together. year. Together. That would be great. I'm down. So my first question, my first real, real question is about you. It's related to you as a teenager, because Mm -hmm. what I remember of you as a teenager is that you were very like cool and chill (laughs) and like (laughs) as an adult in a school, you were one of those kids that I really liked talking to because it was almost like talking to an adult, right? Like you were so wise and super popular. Everybody likes Zoe Bjornsson. Like, you know, you were just so cool. And I didn't get the sense that you were like bent out of shape about academics or getting into college or being really hardcore. You know how men love mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Like intense, right? You played yeah. water polo. Yeah. You were a good water polo player. And you were like, just cool and chill. Now, was that your experience? Like, were you feeling cool and chill or were you like inside, like freaking out and like you just presented as like super cool and chill? I did not feel cool and chill in high school. Mm. I think some of what you said definitely rings true. I was not been out of shape about academics. I did not try the hardest at every single class I was in. I didn't really care about like the straight A's aspect of it all. I don't know why. I just like have never been that. I'm not not that competitive. So maybe that's an aspect of it, especially at a place like Menlo. That's definitely true. I appreciate that you say I'm a good water polo player because I was not. And I only got MVP (laughs) because I like organized Facebook events for our team and was like (laughs) the project manager of the water polo team. And it's a a running joke in my family because my stepdad is also a Menlo alum and he was played tennis at, at Menlo and then Stanford and he's in the Hall of Fame at Menlo. And so I'm like, oh, when is my induction into the <laughs> Hall of Fame? Because I was athlete of the week and, you know, MVP and I was horrible. I never scored a goal. So I appreciate that, although it's not true. And then the cool and chill, I did not feel cool. I did not feel popular. I think I certainly felt well liked and I have people pleasing tendencies. So maybe that speaks to it a little bit. And just was like, everyone was kind of fine with me. I was fine with everyone. And I really had a bone to pick with too many folks, but I did not feel cool. And I only have come into my coolness in the last couple of years, like my accepting of my coolness. (laughs) But it also, to me, that means I accept that I'm cool because I just like, I'm cool with who I am. And I don't really care about it being someone else to judge me on what cool is or cool isn't. Mm. And the chill factor, I think in high school and certainly college and after college, I have struggled with my own seasons of anxiety and the chillness, maybe chill to an extent. I've never been like the most like high maintenance person in the world or anything, but I definitely had bouts of anxiousness and anxiety throughout high school around tests or comparison. I think that was the Mm. biggest piece for me comparing myself to others. And even at Menlo, like the stupid stuff, like that person has a new Lexus and I'm driving around a 1985 diesel Mercedes station wagon (laughs) that I bought for $500. And just the like materialistic stuff that kind of hits you really hard in high school as you're Mm. growing into your body and your coolness. And you have this picture of coolness that is coming from TV and now social media. 
I think mm-hmm. comparison is is like rings true throughout the decades. Like I didn't have Instagram in high school, but we had Facebook and I could just look at someone else and I'd be like, oh, they're wearing true religions and I'm not. So I definitely was <laughs> like, I had a little bit of that yeah. going on. But I also had moments where I, I figured myself out and stood tall in that. So just love that. I'm learning so much. I haven't thought about true religions in a minute. A <laughs> long, <laughs> long drawn out minute. So thank you for bringing me back to that. That whole chapter of denim was to be forgotten. Seven jeans, true religion. There's like a song. That's a lyric to a song. Actually, one sure. time, I don't know, Kathy, if you remember this, Kathy, I had lost some weight and Kathy thought, and I think continues to think that I dress sort of frumpy. And so she... She facts. took me shopping. Is that an accurate statement, Kathy? Accurate. Facts. Accurate. Okay. Just because I don't like to wear hard pants all the time doesn't make me frumpy. Anyway, she took me jean shopping and it was precisely in this era. <laughs> and I just, all I remember is being told to try on a dozen pairs of jeans, which I actually hate shopping. And they were all like bedazzled in some way. You know, like the seams were really ridiculous. And there was like stuff on like the pockets in that area. Like there was just like a lot of shit on all the jeans. I would like to just interject for a moment I mean, and they say, were cool I have at the never time. made you try on bedazzled jeans. Yes, you did. Okay. Yes, you did. <laughs> bedazzled. Maybe distressed. No, there bedazzled. were actual shiny things. I remember right. shiny things. Anyway, <laughs> one of the things back to this conversation. So we get a little sidetracked sometimes. I, I love it's okay. it. I love it. One of the things that you brought up that I have a lot of curiosity around because it's something we talk about all the time is sort of this identity construction that happens in adolescence, right? And so you're talking about stepping into your own sense of authenticity, you know, as you got older and learning to accept those parts of yourself that maybe previously gave you a little bit of anxiety or pause or whatever. And if you could kind of go back and talk to your adolescent self, what do you think would have helped you either to hear or to do at that time that may have assisted you in developing that sort of self-acceptance then? I love this question. I think the first thing that really comes up for me is the notion of that no one else cares and no one else is watching you. And it sounds so cliche. And I hate when cliche stuff like that, like dance, like nobody is watching (laughs) becomes true (laughs) because it really is. And I think I was quite obsessed with, oh, what will people think if I do this? Or I'm not going to do this because I'm scared that someone's going to judge me, whether it was what I was wearing or what schools I was applying to or what schools I wasn't applying to or what sports I was doing. I had a moment in high school that was sort of halfway through. I think it was before my junior year. And I had a couple of traumatic events, especially for a 16-year-old. I had my first high school relationship end. Hmm. And it was now looking back, I can see and say how toxic it was and unhealthy it was. And I also had a family member who died by suicide all in the span of like two or three months that happened. And I felt like I lost part of my identity in that because I was dating this person for, I don't know, a year and a half or two years or something. And so with that being gone, you sort of feel naked in a lot of ways. And then I had this highly emotional moment in my family life and I just 
was like, what's left? What's right? Like, who is my family? Who were they? Like, what am I not understanding? And I had never experienced a loss like that before. So I just felt confused. And that's what launched me into doing a couple different things. I think that's when I started playing water polo, even though I was horrible. And it was my junior year, like who starts playing a sport junior year of high school, like I wasn't trying to get into college because of my water polo skills at that point. And with Menlo, it felt so calculated. It's like people started playing mm. club volleyball in sixth grade in order to get into whatever mm-hmm. school they wanted to go to. And mm-hmm. I just had this moment where I was like, I just need to do things that are going to pick me up off the floor. So my identity shifted and and changed quite a bit in that moment. And it was freeing in a lot of ways, but I don't think I realized how much I needed that freedom Mm. to kind of be like, I could do whatever I want now, whether that was because of the relationship that I was in and I didn't have that type of freedom or I thought I didn't, or because it was just high school and that's how things are. But I, I think I wish I just had a little bit more of that curiosity that I think I have now to try new things, be someone else, wear something else, do whatever I wanted instead of my first thought being, oh, but what will someone think of me? Or, oh, how will this fit into the grand picture of my life? Or, oh, I'm not going to go out for that sport because like, why does it matter if I'm not going to play varsity or I'm not going to put it on my college resume? I think Mm -hmm. as I get older, and I think a lot of people are going through this right now, it's like, you don't have to do something because there's an end goal or because you have to be Mm -hmm. good at it. Just like Mm -hmm. try something new and go through that journey of trying and learning something new. But it's kind of like scary and uncomfortable at first, especially if you like being good at things or you like knowing what you're doing, even if you're not Mm -hmm. good at them, at least you know how you like fit into the the world. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I feel like that was my like identity journey in high school a lot. So I love what you just said about having this, basically it's a growth mindset, right? Like Mm -hmm. a willingness to try something just because you want to and not for an outcome, a specific outcome. And I'm curious, how do you think that your parents played a role in you being able to do that? Like, do you think that they had an attitude that they shared with you growing up that helped you feel comfortable doing something like that, taking a risk? I think so. I think that my mom was always exposing me to new activities, new ways of thinking. My parents are divorced. My dad moved to LA when I was nine. So I also was just exposed to different people and different places. And I would go down to LA and I had a family friend who would ride horses and they would just go to a ranch and hang out. It wasn't like I questioned like fanciness. It was very like rustic and more Western. And I started riding horses because it was fun without the attachment of I will have to win competitions or I want to win competitions. So I think it's my parents sort of continued curiosity themselves. And also Mm. they're exposing me to different, again, activities, places, people, things, without being super attached to the outcome. It was never really like, you're going to you know, go play soccer and then you're going to join a club and then you're going to do this and you're, then you're going to go play soccer at Dartmouth. Like it was never like a super long path with any of the activities I tried out. Mm-hmm. You know, if my mm-hmm. mom listens to this, she'll probably say that she wished all of her children were like musical theater stars, but that's just because she loves <laughs> musical theater. It never really felt like I had to do something to 
fulfill an expectation of hers or, you know, any mm. of my parents. And I think that is really what created, I guess, the growth mindset for me now is I can name it and sort of that curiosity about things. I think, you know, realizing this now as an adult that having outlets, whether that's going to the gym or being creative is crucial to a healthy and happy life. And I think my parents probably knew that. And they were just like, let's get these kids doing something other than thinking about if they're going to get an A on that test or that paper so that they can stay a little bit sane and have a a place to express themselves in a, a different format and release any of that anxiety. Because if I didn't play a sport or if I didn't do theater, if I didn't do anything, then I probably would have just been even more anxious about life and things. I love this. It's very much Mm -hmm. a wholehearted sort of holistic living approach, right? And it's such an antidote when you have a diversity of experiences and you're exposed to a diversity of people. I think it's such an antidote to what we see in high school settings so much that you mentioned earlier, the sort of phenomena of comparison, which almost always is anchored in this really misplaced belief that something has to look a certain way. You have to physically look a certain way. You have to take a certain set of classes. You have to go to a certain kind of college. You have to participate in these kinds of activities. And that's somehow that constellation of achievement equals worthiness. And so often we see teens in particular, I think they're so vulnerable to this, but let's be real people like adults are vulnerable to this too, right? Mm -hmm. Comparing against this sort of set of unrealistic standards without doing what you're saying, which is like, I'm just going to try things on for size. And that's going to help me understand organically that there's so many ways of being and moving in the world, right? Like it doesn't have to look one way. I love that so much as like a counterpoint to this sort of race to nowhere that I don't know, we just see so much of in the communities where Kathy and I live, right? I'm up in Marin County. She's still in Silicon Valley. Yep. And the word that like, also I thought of when you were talking is like fun. Mm. You were having fun. You were trying to do fun things. Your parents wanted yeah. you to have fun and play. And I think play is a forgotten mm-hmm. Art experience, form. right? Yeah. In adolescence in particular. A hundred percent. Well, I th- it's so refreshing to hear that your parents prioritize that for you because as Mara say, and as you know, going to Menlo, you know, a lot of your peers didn't have that parenting yeah. experience, right? And I think so many parents are like wringing their hands, trying to figure out how to set forth the best path for their kids so that they can be the most successful in the world, right? Yeah. And <laughs> what I, I love what you're saying, because I say this all the time. I said, if you want to raise an interesting kid, do interesting things. <laughs> <laughs> expose them. Yeah. And I think you're so interesting. You're so wise. And I hope parents who are listening, you can tell by this very short episode. But I think that's what I meant by cool and chill. Like you mm. always seemed a little bit more worldly, a little bit wiser than your peers. And I think maybe it's because you were exposed to more things, right? Because your parents made that a priority. Yeah, they definitely made it a priority. I can say that with a fact. And I've always been told I have kind of an old soul. And I definitely believe that in a lot of ways. But my mom totally prioritized travel instead of other things and pushed me to get a job in a you know very lovingly way. Cause she was like, you you want to buy true religions? <laughs> you know, go go get a job at the cupcake store, buy your own type deal. And, oh yeah, um, you worked at Sprinkles. 
I worked at Sprinkles. <laughs> I worked at a, I also, my first job was actually at a Brazilian bikini store in downtown Palo Alto. <laughs> I was like, was it? Of, Mm-hmm. At a fifth, like 15 years old, I'd march myself down to just off University Avenue and I would sling Brazilian bikinis. You know, <laughs> I barely sold anything because I'm not a salesperson, but uh, oh I never God. worn a Brazilian <laughs> bikini in my life. But yeah, I think, you know, just like nudging me to try different things and asking questions and, and not really being okay with me just sitting there twiddling my thumbs. And then, yeah, I think also, you know, for better or for worse, I had a lot of moments in my early life that were hard Mm -hmm. and have sort of, I don't think toughened me up necessarily, but just exposed me to life. And I think with that comes a curiosity, but also experience. And I'm not saying everyone should go have those things that were, uh, you know, given to me, but I think exposure to uncomfortable situations is really what breeds growth for a lot of people. I mean, there's a hundred million quotes you could pull from that just say (laughs) that to achieve growth, you have to get out of your comfort zone. And whether you put yourself in those places or places or it happens because of an event, I think it's, it's a totally true fact. Resilience. Resilience. Mm -hmm. Resilience. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was Get out of my brain. Get out of my brain, Kathy Chan. (laughs) I just didn't have the word. You know, you lose. No, you you phrased it much more. You phrased it much. Don't talk to us about getting old, Zoe. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) How dare you? I love that. I mean, I guess one question I have is one of the things we encounter with parents is so they sort of intellectually agree with a lot of the things we've just said. But then they're in these communities that can feel really high pressure because we're yeah. all susceptible to peer pressure of different types and varieties. Yep. If you could sort of channel your teen self and now also your adult self, what advice or kind of words of wisdom would you offer to parents who are kind of walking this tightrope between obviously wanting their child to grow into a high functioning, resilient adult? And also feeling the heat, feeling the heat around certain tokens of achievement. Hmm. I guess I will start with my advice with a little bit more of a story and my experience. I was one of those super smart people who applied to 19 different colleges. So did you do my, that? That's too I many colleges, that. Zoe. I was not That's your college counselor. <laughs> I was you like, Kathy, not. if you had allowed that, <laughs> I know Kathy so, would no. I would have been like, it was, <laughs> it was way too many. And it also resorted in a lot of heartbreak <laughs> because mm. not many people can get into 19 colleges and I was not one of them. And I, you know, had my heart set on the Dukes and the Georgetowns of the world. Mm. But as I said earlier in the episode, I am not someone who pushes myself to the limits academically for whatever reason. And I went to Tulane. I love Tulane. I love New Orleans. I would not choose another school if I had to put money on it. And if I had gone to a Duke or a Georgetown, I think I would have struggled a lot more academically and I would have had a lot more of that comparison feelings Mm -hmm. and not feeling like I'm enough. Mm -hmm. And my parents didn't push me to go to a school that wasn't Tulane that might have been better on my list or anything like that. But I think 
that parents have to keep in mind that your child will land where they're supposed to land. And there's like people on the other side of the spectrum who are, you know, admitting students that are doing their job and they're doing it for a reason. And I think whoever didn't accept me to those schools because it wouldn't have gotten me to Tulane. I wouldn't have such a great experience. I wouldn't have been able to fully enjoy a school and a city as much, which is what was important to me. I wanted to get out there and I wanted to go to jazz concerts and I wanted to intern for Jazz Fest, which I did and plan festivals and have a job off campus and have an internship and experience it more than just for what the school and the education was. And if I was in a place that was at a higher level of academic rigor, I would have just drowned. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's just something that people have to remember as they're navigating either as a student or as a parent. You have to land in the right spot on all levels, not just like this is a school that has good merit and this is a school that has a high academic level, but also what do you care about? Do you want to go to football games? Do you want to have the time to go to football games? Like, do you want to go try new restaurants in the city and have the time to experience that? Or even seeing my younger brother who's studying cell and molecular biology at UT, it's a different life because he has lab and he's not out in Austin as much as I was out in New Orleans because it's a totally different realm of learning and educating, but that's what he wanted. That's what Mm -hmm. he is wanting to study. So I think as a parent, you have to support your child in understanding and learning what's important to them for the college experience and the rest of life and not just think about like what's important to you. I also will say as I've gotten older and I've interacted with a ton of people across the spectrum, there are wicked smart people who did not go to Stanford. (laughs) And there are extremely intelligent people who did not get a master's. Like it doesn't matter as much when you get out of the bubble where you went to college or who you know or whatever. It matters Mm -hmm. how you work Mm -hmm. and how you show Mm -hmm. up and what your work ethic is. Mm -hmm. And you can't always just rest on your laurels and you can't always rest on that alumni network or just the kind of those like cushions. It's, it's more about who you are. And I think. Preach sister. I know. (laughs) I mean, help help your kid find that. (laughs) Help your kid find that. Help your kid find who they are and it won't be as stressful for either. So as I'm listening to you talk, it reminds me of a question that I get a lot from parents, which is, Mm. should I send my kid to an independent school and should I try to get Mm. them into a school like Menlo, right? Mm. What is the benefit? Like if my kid isn't going to be a top kid at Menlo, is it even worth Mm. sending them there? Because they're not going to get into a top college, right? So I get this question a lot. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think about your Menlo education? What do you think about having the opportunity to going to a, a pretty prestigious prep school, even though you weren't in the, you know, whatever, super yeah. duper top of the class. Yeah, I wasn't a valedictorian or anything like that, <laughs> if they even have that. I am extremely grateful for my Menlo education because I think it really helped me create a holistic version of myself. I even wrote, wrote a letter to Norm Cole, the former dean at Menlo, saying like, thank you. <laughs> college I had like an emotional night my stuff you know freshman year and I was like damn not everyone had a Menlo experience like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even I went to the middle school too so I had seven years of a Menlo education and I just felt like I came out of it so well versed in a lot of things that's also my nature I'm someone who like likes to be able to do everything but I'm never great 
at like really anything. I'm a, um, a generalist in a lot of ways. And that's why I am in the role that I am in. But I think it, it really helped with that. And I think I would have gone to Pali if I had gone to a public school in Palo Alto, which is also a good school, but I would have gotten lost in the crowd. And I'm an introvert who needs to kind of be like, hey, Zoe, how are you doing? And then I'll be like, I'm fine. Let's talk for 30 minutes. But I need to have that level of an invitation from someone, whether it's someone like you, Kathy, or it's a bunch of you know the other teachers who I got really close with over my time there. I need to be sort of like called on and cared for a little bit more. And that doesn't happen as much at public schools as far as I'm aware. I think mm-hmm. maybe it you know does it some. So I'm grateful for that like a holistic view of myself and the world and the things that I can do, whether it was writing an essay or making like a sick PowerPoint or, you know, doing (laughs) musical theater or doing water polo. Like I was able to do so much. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it just helped me like create a little bit more. It helped me try a lot of new things. And Mm -hmm. Menlo doesn't really do that. And it was a smaller, safer environment for me to practice that. I think uh, at bigger schools, at bigger public schools, it might be even more so oh, you're a jock, you're a jock for four years. Oh, you're a musical theater geek, you're a musical theater geek for four years. Mm -hmm. It's more hard to penetrate, so to speak, those Mm -hmm. other bubbles within a a school. I don't know that for a fact. I don't have a lot of friends who were at Pali or other schools like that, but it's kind of an assumption I I have made over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, You should read stuff by Warren Bennis, who is like a big leadership scholar who kind of coined that term, deep generalist, that's been sort of popularized. But basically the deep generalists are the polymaths of today's age. They're the ones who get shit done. (laughs) Good try. And connect disparate disciplines. Yeah, Zoe, (laughs) it seems like you get all the shit done. And do it with like balance, right? And authenticity, which is what a recipe for positive feeling, Mm, not just happiness, like deeper than happiness. mm, Thank you. I appreciate that. And and that you're able to kind of mirror that back. It's taken a while. I had a, a year in New York where I was working at an agency And I was totally miserable because I wasn't authentic with, Mm. I was getting shit done, but I wasn't authentic. And I just like launched into a depression. And I was just like, I'm not the type of person who, when I think about depression or when I thought about depression, I was like a high schooler. It's like a goth kid. Like that's where your mind goes. Like you go to the movie (laughs) representation of depression or anxiety. Like a lot of evanescence. (laughs) Yeah. And I wasn't, I was still myself because I can turn it on like for Mm -hmm. better or worse. I'm somewhat trained and trained in theater. So I could turn it on wherever I am, but the mismatch between the doing it all and doing it all authentically and taking care of myself just like got blown up and I took a a year off. I quit my job. I left New York. I traveled. I came back to California. The pandemic hit. So I had extra time with my family in California. And I just had to like check myself and get back to that like level of balance. And that's something that I think more kids need to to learn about how to do that for themselves. Because like I said earlier, meditation doesn't work for everyone. Working out at the gym doesn't work for everyone. Like everyone needs to find their outlet that'll bring you back to balance and mm-hmm. authenticity within yourself. Are you all hearing the wisdom out there, people? <laughs> so much. I know. Okay, so I just have to say, Zoe is one of those alums. Like, she's one of those students to me that's like, I always go to, like, who are the kids who really, after, you know, 13 years in a school and as the senior class dean for most of those years, I've seen a lot of seniors go through the school and there are just a handful that stick in my brain. And Zoe's definitely one of them. And you're hearing why right now, right? Because she's always had, as much as I hear you say, like you were kind of like a 
insecure teenager, right? And you had these moments where you're like, I don't know if I fit in. I think there's always been this wisdom that you've carried. And I love hearing about its evolution as you've gotten older. And you're one of those alums that I always bring back to Menlo because I'm like, look at her. (laughs) She's got it together. Like this is success, people. Because it's not about her like high paying job in XYZ or like we used to always bring the guy who created What's that camera? What's the camera that you take everywhere? GoPro. <laughs> he GoPro? was like, GoPro is a Ben Lolo. And so they would always bring like the GoPro guy because they're like, look how successful he is. And I was like, no, no, no. This is us. <laughs> like, this is actually like the wholeheartedness, like the working yep. towards wholeheartedness, the willingness to be vulnerable and authentic, mm. the character, right? Like, this is actually, I think, what parents want for their kids. They mm. think it's going to be being the GoPro guy, but if they looked deeply, Right. Or reflected deeply. It's like, you're exactly like, I am so proud of you, first of all. And if you're my kid, oh, I'd be like, hell to the yes. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a badass mom. Look at my kid. Uh, I, I think and I hope that she does feel that way. Yeah, I think that's the hard part about our reality today is that we are just in a culture of comparison and we're also in a culture of like performing. I read a really interesting Atlantic article the other day. It's called why the last 10 years of American life have been so uniquely stupid. So (laughs) article titles lately are, are coming hard. Yeah. Like who's who's doing that? A plus to them. And it's a lot about social media and it's a lot about the political divide. And it's a lot about a lot of things, but there was one line in there that really got me. And it just, we got to a point in our lives that, we became so much more about performing instead of connecting. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is true for a 16 year old. It's true for a 50 year old, Mm -hmm. whether it's the parent who is like, I got to perform and we got to take the Christmas card. And I got to tell you that my daughter's going to Duke and playing volleyball. And like, that's all great if it happens, but connect to someone on why that matters to you or why it's important for your kid rather than just like writing it off and telling someone and, you know, having Mm -hmm. it be a, a trophy in your case, so to speak. So that's a lot with what I'm, I've been sitting with lately. And I think it's something that we all kind of need to acknowledge in our lives, especially with the rise of all the social media sites and all of the toxicity that happens there and how it can affect, especially young girls in, in high school. Like there's tons of studies on that too. So it's, it's so in our life now, and it's, it's not something that should be just like pushed to the side. Do you want to co-host this uh, podcast? <laughs> <laughs> You want to, you got, you got to. time for a side hustle? <laughs> <laughs> the knowledge people. Holy cow. Mic drops so left and right. I love it. <laughs> so good. So good. Well, we're out of time with Zoe, sadly, but I mean, oh, so we're going to have, we're gonna have to have you back because. Part two. Let's part do it. Two, for we're going to sure. get so many emails of this, like, um, would it be possible to share Zoe's contact information? Because- <laughs> We would so I'm happy to, to talk to anyone. <laughs> I love I love talking to students, whether they're in like high school or college, because there's just this like intensity that we mm-hmm. all have about something, whether whether it was what you're gonna do or who you're gonna be or whatever. But I think it's helpful to get perspective and talk to someone else who went through it and can see the like good and the bad. But at the same time, I look back at my high school experience and I'm like, what did I do? I don't remember it half the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, did I just black out the entire time? Not because I was drinking, but just like <laughs> <laughs> what happened it just goes by so fast and so Don't many you love change I have students who are your age Zoe and a little bit older and they still when like like we're all fully fledged adults right 
and they're yeah, still but, like, I don't but, drink. but I didn't drink it at a high school party. Like, so they would, <laughs> I was like, you know, if you did, I don't care. <laughs> it's, yeah, okay. exactly. it's all good. It's all good. Never so Zoe, yeah. do you have a website? Because I feel like you're the type of person who would. If people wanted to learn more about you or connect with you, is there easy? I to do. do I do have a website. I don't update it that often, but you can find me at kzoeb.com. My first name's Catherine, so that's a fun little secret mm. about me, but that's why the K is there. But yeah, I share a lot of like my design work or what I'm doing at quilts. I had a podcast once upon a time, but it kind of has died out. I'm really into habits and rituals and the science behind how that works. So I'll write about that. And I have a newsletter. I have a newsletter that I send out every other week about whatever I want to talk about. <laughs> So I love it. So cool. You're doing big things. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for joining us. I know I speak for me and Meredith when I say it has been a joy to hear so much wisdom from a young adult. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are a young adult. You're no longer a teenager, but it was my pleasure. I'm so glad to see you as well. Well, and come visit me the next time. You're back in these parts if you ever are. Yeah. I will, for sure. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening.